If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think I've always been comfortable showing my anger because my mum has always been comfortable showing her anger. She's a very big, dramatic personality. And I was always encouraged to be opinionated and loud. And I think certain things, like I get that kind of shakiness if I'm about to get cross about something. But I know that actually I'll be more angry with myself if I don't just lay my cards on the table and say, look, I'm really unhappy about this and I think this is a disgrace. And I don't really have any fear of authority. I've got that kind of perverse thing where actually the more powerful someone is or the higher up in the company they are, the more I, I want to hold them to account for something if I'm unhappy. So for me, I think... I'm happy to get cross and say, I don't agree with this and just sort of look someone dead in the eyes and say, you know, you want to explain that or that makes me uncomfortable and I want you to to think about that. And I don't so much raise my voice, I just really put people on the spot and kind of ask them to explain what they meant or just tell them why I think it's pretty despicable. (laughs) Coming up in today's episode, we're joined by comedian Jen Brister on why we fear angry women... I still don't think as a woman I have that permission to just come out and be angry in the way that a male comedian can. I have to find a way to make the audience feel safe enough to accept it. Writer Kalechi Okafor tells us how anger can lead to positive change. I celebrate anger. I celebrate it because we should all be seen. Plus, we bring you more testimonials from our amazing listeners. Mild anger, I deal with it by going the extra mile and like killing them with kindness because I think that's that's helpful if I think the situation is going to become more problematic I kind of almost go to that official stage where I have to deal with everything written so that it's all documented and deep down I know that's kind of sad because if I was able to be me and not having to think about every single move almost which is quite constrictive I would probably want to just kick off but a black woman in the UK, um, I can't. In today's episode, we touch on a number of difficult topics that have made us and others angry. We just wanted to give you a heads up. 2020 has been a very angry year for me. I've honestly been low-level furious since late February, and it's a really unusual experience for me because I wouldn't say I'm normally an angry person but I found this year really difficult to deal with as a lot of people have. I think I've been very angry about how the pandemic's been handled by our government and other governments. I've been very angry about how certain people have responded to the rules and it's a really quite ugly emotion. I feel like when that rage takes over, you lose compassion, you lose that sense of understanding. Maybe that person is breaking the rules because they're also finding it hard. And yet it it has been something that I've really had to watch myself on. And I've definitely not overcome it at all times this year. You talk about anger being quite an ugly 
emotion. I think it's a good emotion, but I feel like it's so moralised that we feel so bad about feeling anger. I mean, I certainly do feel really guilty if ever I do feel anger. The pandemic and the death of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and the, the election recently, just everything just feels so charged this year, and rightly so. It has just been a really difficult year and it's really fraught. And we do need to let ourselves feel anger, I think, you know, as long as it doesn't fester. I don't feel like I know how to process anger very well. So what tends to happen with me is whenever I feel frustrated or angry, it comes out in the form of tears and I just cry. I think a lot of people do that. I definitely used to do that in a work context, I think, earlier in my career. If something frustrated me, I'd just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it until one thing pushed me over the edge and I flipped my lid and then cried in the toilets about it. Classic. But I feel like thankfully, as I've got more comfortable in my career, if I disagree with someone, I do have the confidence to nip it in the bud. But that does not translate to my social life at all. I do not have the confidence to say to a friend, actually, what you did last weekend really pissed me off. You know, I I would just never say that because you do feel like when you let go and say what you're really feeling, you've let go of control. And Mm. that is quite a taboo thing. I also don't think, if I'm being honest, I'm particularly good at receiving anger. You know, I can wax lyrical about how people need to be better at receiving women being angry. But if someone ever snaps at me... I'll probably immediately text my friends and say, you never guess what she or he just said to me, rather than taking a step back and thinking, why are they angry? You know, like mm, that's both so sides. We're, we're, both, we're just terrible at it. And that the reasons that someone would may have snapped at you are completely personal to them and not necessarily mm. a reflection of you in any way. That's a really interesting point. I do think that one of the reasons why women in particular are so bad at both showing anger and receiving anger is because there are so many stereotypes that follow us around about this. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the angry black woman or feisty, spicy Latina women or timid Asian women or especially older white women. If they complain about anything, they're called Karens. I think that also a lot of women's anger has been erased from history almost so a lot of there are a lot of women um who are remembered as heroes for from perhaps the likes of um Emmeline Pankhurst and the suffragettes or Rosa Parks who um with the civil rights movement and those women's anger has been somewhat underplayed so that we can make a more palatable version of -hmm. of them perhaps so for example the popular legend um, would have you believe with Rosa Parks that she was tired after a long day of work and refused to give up her bus seat but we now know from you know family testimonials and other reporting that that's not the case at all you know this was kind of an act of anger and frustration it was a very deliberate act and so it's no wonder why rage is is not something that's that we kind of feel like we have the language for or the capacity to show. You're so right. And I think they also go to show that anger can actually be a really positive emotion. Ultimately, this is not about judging people who feel anger or express anger. We really want to change the narrative around it. Yeah, completely. And that's why I'm really excited to have the two guests we've got on today because they've both acknowledged their anger and really embraced their anger in a lot of ways to do positive things. 
If you want to join in the conversation, use the hashtag AIMYU. A great example and role model of someone who expresses and embraces anger is Kalechi Okafor. The multi-talented Kalechi runs a pole dancing studio in South London, is a writer, and also hosts a podcast named Say Your Mind, where everyone speaks their mind freely. Kalechi is joining us today. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So we wanted to kick things off by asking you about anger. What are some of the things that you're personally angry about that you wish more women were angry about these days? I think in the first instance, it's patriarchy. I think that that's the main thing. And I think actually quite a lot of women are angry about that. Now we're seeing the uprisings in um, Poland, for instance, and, you know, the policing of reproductive health. So I'm glad to see like more women are getting angry about a lot of things. As a black woman, primarily, I'm obviously angry about white supremacist patriarchy, the fact that that was the cause of, you know, colonisation, the transatlantic slave trade, and the fact that these kind of morphs and feeds into every aspect of what we deal with also affects healthcare. So we know that in Britain, black women are five times more likely to die during during childbirth and soon after in comparison to white women. And Lots of people are shocked by this statistic. Like, what do you mean? This is terrible. Like, what could be going wrong specifically with black women? Are there kind of genetic predispositions that would lead to these tragic deaths? But actually, no. Mm. In a lot of cases, that's Mm. not what we're looking at because race is not a biological thing. It's a sociological thing. And it's because of how black women are viewed and how their bodies have been used throughout the centuries to help move science along that the black female body is still treated as a site of experimentation and not one that's treated with empathy. And that's one of the things that I'm very angry about, really, because it's something that I experienced during my baby loss and when I actually then had my second pregnancy and I had my son. Thank you for for sharing that and for for speaking so passionately about that. Anger is often framed in quite a, a, a negative light, but there are so many instances where anger can call for positive change in society and, and in ourselves. Can you tell us a bit about when anger has made a positive change in your life? Without anger, I wouldn't have been able to do, I guess, most of the things that I've achieved, you know, from having a childhood of sexual abuse and not speaking about it for years. And then I started the journey around, I guess, 22 years old. When I really started to feel to myself, you know, it feels so uncomfortable to be inside of myself because there's so much anger there with nowhere to go. And I believe that anger is just like water, it needs somewhere to go. If anger doesn't move, then it calcifies, then it festers. That's when it becomes dangerous. But if you can allow anger Mm. as an energy to kind of move through you to create something different to whatever that traumatic experience was, we can see a positive world, you know? So I started using my anger to go to therapy because I wanted to break down all of the ways that trauma had affected me and really interrogate all of those things so I could navigate the world better. And once I started having these tools for being able to speak about my anger, understanding anger as an energy, and also understanding that anger is 
a surface emotion for pain, for hurt. And my anger at the fact that Black women and and marginalised communities are generally not represented within the fitness industry that led me to open the pole dance fitness studio because I wanted a space where we see more than just um, slim white women. Like, let's see more people. And, you know, just different types of um, experiences and lived experiences that we should be honouring. And it's because I felt angry. I thought, no, I'm going to do something so somebody else doesn't have to feel the same anger. That is just so awesome. And I love that you've created your pole dancing fitness studio based on that. It's just so, so great. Was there a moment where you decided to use your anger? Was there a light bulb moment where you really embraced it or was it more of a gradual process? I'd say using my anger was a gradual process because I was always using it before, but I was just using it in a way that wasn't serving me, that wasn't serving anybody else. Mm. I'm the kind of person that if I felt angry about something um, due to the trauma in my childhood, I'd let it sort of build up and build up inside me. You know, when you sort of feel that heat in your chest and it's got nowhere to go until Mm -hmm. you kind of blow up. And I would almost look forward to the anger as a way of being able to, oh, finally say what I wanted to say about this situation. But that wasn't serving me because I wasn't working from a place of groundedness. You know, I was using that anger in a very destructive way because hurt people hurt people. And there is a way to use that Mm -hmm. anger to recognise that, you know, life is going to throw all of us curveballs. But how are we going to use the energy, that momentum to kind of switch the dynamic? So again, it's through therapy that I started to learn how to channel the anger, learning how to speak before it gets to that point where that anger is so pent up that it's got nowhere to go or it comes out in a massive sort of explosion. That's so powerful, that idea of using anger to serve you. The way that women and men are socialised around anger is like is incredibly different. What, what in your experience is kind of the major differences and how through um, your work are you trying to tackle that? I think the main difference is that women are expected to be nice. We're expected to be nice. We're expected to smile. We're expected to be polite. And that is um, a violence as far as I'm concerned. It's one of the ways that we uh, we remain subjugated across the globe as women. We're not expected to speak out in case we offend somebody else. And oftentimes you've, you would have seen so many women on social media through the Me Too movement. And for some reason, the woman feeling that she would be out of place to speak about that thing. She would feel guilty. Mm. She would feel like she was the one in the wrong. And this isn't a coincidence. This is the true nature of sexism, where we as women question our authority, our autonomy, our divinity. So from such a young age, we swallow the hurt. We keep holding it all in. And instead of finding somewhere for that to go... Sometimes we turn it in on each other. We then, as women, start policing each other. And then we talk Mm -hmm. about etiquette. And, oh, it's not proper for you to do that as a woman. Because sometimes, well, a lot of times, it's the oppressed that use the tools of the oppressor against each other. So women... Mm-hmm. over police each other I've you know I felt it as a mother as well where I'd go out running and running is one of my ways of being able to regulate myself and to regulate my emotions and to give myself that space to be free and I would post a video of like my post-run thoughts and I'd get a message from another mother who would say something like 
oh, it's so wonderful that you've got time to go running. I'm just so busy. But what's happening there, I'm finding, is this mother is angry. She's angry about the fact that she doesn't have a chance to go running. But instead of turning that anger towards the system, the dynamic in her household that's not allowing her to do the things that she wants to do, she looks at another mother and goes, "Mm mm-mm. Sorry, so no one can see this, but... Rachel and I are just basically spent the whole time nodding. We're just like, <laughs> but not my neck's going to break. I'm just like, yeah, um, mm-hmm. shouldn't laugh. But I was just, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, but that's exactly it. We all know it. So that motherhood's an example, but we all know it in different things. I would also, I would always get when I was, you know, really raving it up, going out when I was younger, other women would say to me, aren't you cold in that? If I was cold, I wouldn't have worn it. <laughs> You can just let me know that you think it's too short. In fact, don't let me know. I don't care. But, you know, it's the way that we police each other's bodies because we don't have anywhere for the anger to go that we feel about the mm. ways that we've been socialised and we are asked to, to then be nice. And I, I always say on my social media that I'm a kind person, but I'm not a nice person. You know, kindness is my respect and me honouring the divinity of everybody and everything around me. But niceness, well, that's a societal conditioning that's given specifically to women because men aren't asked to be nice. In fact, we praise men when they are um, assertive, but a woman showing those same qualities, she's aggressive. You know, she's mean, she's nasty. So, you know, it's language. Language is one of the ways that we are controlled in our society and it's the language that we use for women that differs from the language we use for men that tells us who has um, access to anger who's got permission to use it and who doesn't you mentioned language there we're really interested in what you think needs to change in society in order for it to kind of accept women's anger I think it's really women primarily seeing each other, when we see each other doing something that's out of the norm, quote unquote, that we celebrate that, that we start saying things like, yeah, you go, you do that. A lot of the times I'm, when I'm commenting on photos and things and videos on social media, I say things like, yes, queen, yes, goddess, because you have a right to do what you're doing and you are divine in doing that thing, no matter how big, no matter how small. I just want that wording to change and for there to be space for us to praise each other and to let women understand and embrace their divinity. I think we're kind of shy of the amount of power that we have because throughout the centuries, um, when we've moved from um, inherently matriarchal systems to kind of a toxic patriarchy, we have been taught to shy away from our own power. So it's remembering that you have the power innately. It's a birthright and encouraging other people through literally looking up words. For instance, I never say about another woman, you're ranting because I don't believe in that. And I often get that as a black woman, like, oh, I loved your rant. And I understand that they think that they're praising me, but that term is almost saying that I'm not within my right mind or I've kind of come away from what I wanted to say. And that's not true. Like it's well thought out. And there is a method to the alleged madness. Mm, it goes back to that like hysterical woman idea, doesn't it? Yes. It's like, no, that's not a thing. We also wanted to talk about stereotypes around anger. We spoke a little in the intro about the really toxic idea of, you know, angry black women, timid Asian women and things like that. Do you feel in your own experience that white people respond differently to your own anger than black people? Yes, yes. I'd say that if we're looking at it on a spectrum, definitely um, white people react 
very differently to my anger in comparison to black people. But that doesn't mean that black people haven't internalized the notion of, you know, I don't want to be seen as the angry black person and beholden to uh, respectability politics. If I just do everything the way that I've been told white people want me to do it and the way that society tells me that will make everybody else around me comfortable, then I will get that promotion. Then, you know, people will be nicer to me. They'll embrace me. So many different things that you're promised if you just to the norm. And I find that oftentimes the way that my anger is perceived by white people is there is a fear there and there is also a guilt there. The fear primarily is because we're scared of our power. We've been told that that is not for us to have. The only time we're really encouraged to show this power that we have is to go out and vote. And then we're told when we go uh, to vote that you've got to choose between the lesser of two evils. So even then we're being disempowered again. So it's funny the way that the goalposts keep shifting as to when we have power and when we don't have that power. But ultimately we always have it and it's being fearless in facing it. And then the guilt aspect is because whether we want to address it or not, we are aware that something happened to give us this socioeconomic disparity that we now find in our societies. And so when some white people sense that anger, are faced with that anger, it's a, oh, how am I complicit? You know, historically, I wasn't physically there, but what am I doing with the benefits that I've been given now to recalibrate whatever it is that's going on here that's just not fair. Those are the ways that we can work through anger and work through finding a more cohesive way to interact with each other. We'd love to know, how do you receive and respond to other people's anger? Uh, I guess it comes down to what does the anger do to you? Because energy is transferred, Mm -hmm. right? Energy moves. So if that's an uncontrolled anger, a lashing out, then instantly I will move away from that type of anger because they haven't decided where that anger is going and is part of that anger towards themselves that they're projecting. So those kind of situations I would move away from, but I celebrate anger. I celebrate it when I see, um, like I said, when I see the women in Poland coming together and speaking out against the um, abortion bans and the violations that they're finding from their government, I welcome that because Anger used in that way is necessary. It's necessary for us to take back the autonomy of our bodies collectively. When I look at the Black Lives Matter movement, I welcome that sort of anger for us to get out into the street and say, no more, police brutality, no more, not in my name. I don't want that. So there are ways that we use it, and not just in terms of getting together as bodies of people, but individually. I see people on social media speaking about body positivity and, for instance, their photos and pictures and videos not showing up because of the algorithms and things like that. They're angry about that. And I support that anger because we should all be seen. So numerous people are speaking out about, you know, different things. People are angry about various things. And I feel like when I see that, I'm filled with hope because I know that if we can get to the other side of that anger, possibly we'll have a better world. God, I love that. It's such a great note to end on. You have delivered like truth after truth. I've been sat here <laughs> nodding. Absolutely love it. Thank I'm like, you. just just run for MP. Like, I'd vote for you. Um, but be- before we let you go, we do have one final question that we put to all of our guests, and that is, what makes you uncomfortable? Oh, what makes me uncomfortable? 
is probably pretending to like food that I don't like. You know, you like you go somewhere and someone makes you food. Or it, like, I remember having like an ex who was like, "Oh, my mum makes like the best roast dinner. Like, it's fantastic. It's fantastic." When I sat down, good lord. <laughs> so ever since then i've had like a vendetta against unseasoned food so that's what makes me uncomfortable (laughs) brilliant thank you so so much for joining us today thank you for having me it's been amazing to have you on thank you you can find Kalechi both on Instagram and Twitter under the handle Kalechnikov. That's spelled K-E-L-E-C-H-N-E-K-O-F-F. Anger usually builds up slowly for me, but it's really intense when it does happen. And I think from when we're young as girls, we're kind of taught to only show certain emotions like sadness or frustration in certain ways. So I've always found it hard to process when I'm really angry. And yeah, I think sometimes it's not received well. And I think that it's usually seen as something that needs to be justified or measured. Whereas for men, it's something that can be expressed freely. I think we don't really give women the space to be angry. I was angry in my 20s. I am fucking living now! <laughs> it's hard not to be angry, though, don't you think, with the state of the world? I mean, I mean, look at the state of the, world, the planet right now. How can we not all be angry? You know, things that even the media don't even communicate with us, like the famine in Yemen, we've got the war in Syria, the ensuing refugee crisis, the rise of the alt-right, we've got Trump in power, we've got Brexit, we've got austerity, global warming, we've got the Tories who managed to stay in power no matter what fucking batshit mental thing they do. We've got what feels like Armageddon could happen at any given moment, and on top of that, Gwyneth Paltrow will not shut the fuck Today we're joined by Jen Brister, a comedian whose stand-up show, Meaningless, explores anger and fury on stage. She's passionate about tackling sexism and the patriarchal society we live in. She's joining us today to talk about how we should change our attitudes towards women expressing anger. Jen, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, pleasure. I'm always happy to speak about rage. (laughs) Great. Um, So, big question to start. Uh, Why do you think people fear angry women so much? Well, I think as a society, we deem it unseemly for a woman to lose control. And I think anger is very much attributed to somebody who is out of control. I think also, I know we say about children that uh, children should be seen and not heard, but I do feel like that really could apply to women as well. I think we have been told all our lives to contain how we feel in terms, uh, otherwise we're seen as um, hysterical or it's seen as somebody that doesn't know what she's talking about because she's lost it or who isn't in control of our emotions so therefore isn't rational so therefore shouldn't be taken seriously and I think we need to and we can definitely claim that back. Yes, absolutely agree. Historically, tell us what are some of the things that have made you personally angry and how have people reacted to your anger when you've displayed it oh my god I mean how long how long is this podcast (laughs) I don't think we've got enough time to possibly uh for me to go through all the things that make me angry I think I find it fascinating that women generally speaking aren't in a constant state of fury um Mm. you know when we look at the way as 
you know, 51% of the population we are treated and we're still having to fight for equality and we're still seen as a minority mm. and we are still having to explain to the other 49% of the population why our rights are as important as theirs. There we go. That's that's 24 hours a day, Fury. So, you know, we live in a society where we have been told not only how to dress, how to behave, uh, how to comport ourselves, how to feel, how to think, what to expect, what our limitations are. So I often find myself constantly in a rage. Sometimes I will direct it maybe unfairly onto men, which I think I have done in the past. I do so less now. And I think perhaps that was unhelpful. But I think generally speaking, anger is not received well when it's coming from a woman. And to a degree, I can understand that because it's so visceral and you don't know how to, you don't know what to do with it when someone's chucking it at you but also because historically that's not how we've been told to behave. Mm, have you ever had those like calm down dear type comments, you know, those really infuriating things, anything like that? Of course. I mean, has any woman gone through their life with an opinion and not been told to calm down? I mean, I've mm -hmm. been told to calm down since I was a child. Uh, I've been told I had a bad attitude um, I think when I was at school, if you were a young girl or a young woman and you had opinions and you had stuff to say and you were curious and you had questions mm. at school, then, you know, you were told what your place was and your place mm. was to shut up, listen, don't ask questions. And, and, and that is a way of teaching girls to keep quiet and to uh, know their place. So yeah, I definitely have spent my entire life being told to calm down. And now that I feel at my calmest, when people say it to me, I'm actually quite amazed that I'm still hearing that. And often what I find amazing is if it's from other women, because I just want to say, you haven't actually seen me get angry yet. <laughs> mm. <laughs> strap, strap yourself in, love, because it's coming. I, I wasn't angry until you told me to calm down and now I'm absolutely livid. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to talk a bit about your comedy show as well. Can you tell us a bit about what inspired you to focus so much on anger and where that whole idea came from? Well, it wasn't an idea because I didn't I didn't make a, a conscious decision to do that. It it just became that. And I think that I had become known as quite an angry comedian even before Meaningless. That that had sort of followed me around for quite a while. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure why, because I don't really remember a great deal of my comedy being particularly angry, but I suppose I'm quite stroppy in the green room sometimes. I think I just got to the point as a comedian where I felt really in control of my material and of what I wanted to say. And so because I've been doing stand-up for such a long time, I knew that I could utilise anger in a way that perhaps maybe five years or six years earlier I would have struggled to make it funny. And I enjoy uh, using different emotions on stage. And anger for me is actually weirdly quite an easy one to use because the anger is cartoon-like. So the audience aren't don't feel threatened by it. And yet mm -hmm. it's real enough that it can feel quite pointed, if you see what I mean. Because I still don't think as a woman I have that permission to just come out and be angry in the way that a, a male comedian can. I have to find a way to make the audience feel safe enough to accept it. Once an audience feels threatened, then you lose them and they stop listening. 
So the reason why the audience aren't being threatened is that either one, I'm going crazy about Sunday or something that I'm, that's not the thing that I'm angry about. Like Gwyneth Paltrow, I go into a massive rant about her. I mean, I, you know, I'm not her biggest fan, but I, I'm not, I don't genuinely feel that much rage. Or, and I do this more in my new show, um, what I'll do is I'll take the audience on a journey on a roundabout way where I'll feign kind of like, I don't know if you heard of this thing and then I'll sort of feign incredulity and then the audience are like yeah that's kind of crazy and then they'll join me on this incredulity until I'm like actually as and then the incredulity comes to realization that this is completely fucked up and then by that mm. point I'm like I'm actually you know what I'm absolutely fucking re-. so then it means that when I actually am really angry about stuff that's the bit where it becomes much more contained and I make it a lot more even this is the bit I want you to listen to. Now I've got you. And so that was really important to me to be careful not to be angry about the thing that was really angry about, which is say period poverty or in my new show, it's about privilege. So, and that's the bit I want them to take home, not the bit about me screaming about Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm. It comes back to what you were saying earlier about having control and the idea of people fearing women because they feel that like when you're angry you've lost control and you've obviously you're able to kind of play with that and that's all you're doing in comedy I mean what we're doing is to make the audience feel comfortable we create tension and then we cut the tension with a joke and and that's 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 what I do with anger it's so fascinating how you're able to show anger on stage in a way that you wouldn't maybe be able to in real life but we're also really interested to hear about anger in the comedy industry in general because something that Brogan and I were talking about earlier is how in the workplace um, women in particular are often told to suppress anger do you feel in your industry that you can display your anger how is it perceived when you're not on stage I you know, there's a, there's a, there's a definitely a hierarchy, and so if you don't have any authority within the comedy industry or any power, then your voice is is not heard. So, your voice is only as loud as you are influential within comedy. That's a fact. And so, if you're an open mic comedian, irrespective of your gender, but probably more so as a as a as a woman, then you don't have a voice, really. You're not really in a position to speak out if you say experience. I don't know harassment or assault in the workplace and I think that's the difficulty is that it's very much magnified in our industry because in a green room that hierarchy is there and you have to kind of find your place within the comedy industry and so if you're not at a point in your career where perhaps you are working regularly or you're getting telly or whatever then if you started waving the flag about, oh, this person did this and this person did that, the reality is you would probably then struggle to find work because you would just get a reputation as being somebody that's a troublemaker. And I think that's still the case today. I, I, you know, I'd love to tell you that post Me Too, mm-hmm. everything is hunky-dory, but it, it, I know for a fact it isn't. And I, and I can see these dynamics at play all the time. I do really do my best in a green room to try to cut through all that crap. But it, mm-hmm. it, it does exist. And more so as the circuit shrinks and there's less work and there's more comedians, those comedians mm-hmm. that have that certain status, whatever they perceive their status to be, they're going to cling on to it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They're not going to let that go for anybody. And if that means that the only way they feel that that status exists is to be unkind to somebody in a green room, then they will be. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's everyone, but you don't need that many people to do it for it to become a bit of a nightmare. Sorry, we should we should give a bit of context here. Comedy is having its own Me Too moment 
right now with a number of female comedians coming forward to demand change in the industry. Um, For you, Jen, how does it feel to see women's collective anger call for change? in this way yeah I know I I think in, in every way it's always good the thing that's tricky with all of these sorts of things is finding the best way to approach it we have a problem within our industry and that is that there are predators and that they are known and nobody calls them out yeah we just don't call them out. And I, I, to this day, I don't know why we're not calling these people out. Um, sometimes it's because we don't know about it. And that's, that is very mm-hmm. true. There are a lot of women who have been experiencing uh, assault and harassment for many years that just didn't feel like they had a voice and thought, if I say anything, mm-hmm. this man, I mean, I'm going to say it's always a man, is very influential, uh, is on television, has got a huge profile. If I speak out against them, what will that do to my career? So I won't do it. And if who will believe me? And I think that that is the issue is that we have a responsibility as other performers in a green room to be able mm-hmm. to be approachable so that if someone feels unsafe, that they can say, I don't feel safe with this performer. If we know that there is accusations of sexual assault or in fact, and this is the case in several um, instances of actual rape, that those people are not booked. Again. Mm. Now, I know that people are going to go, oh, you can't until proven, until guilty, and da 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 da. But the instances that I'm thinking of is that these are pretty much known and mm. the person hasn't denied it because they don't yeah. need to. They're not in danger of being convicted, but they, they should know that they are in danger of losing their status within the comedy industry. It's so it's it's just it's just very very difficult and also the hardest thing is trying to convince women to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. In in general, I guess a, a theme of this episode has been empowering women to use their voice to say what they think. In terms of anger, would you like anger to be more accessible for other women? Are you hoping to help other women release their outrage? Oh yeah. You see it a lot with American, I think North American comedians are quite good at utilising their anger and there seems to be a space for women to do that on stage. It seems like a new thing to do it in this country for whatever reason. And I would love to see more women in this country doing it and feeling empowered by it and also not being afraid of using it because we've got a lot to be angry about. And, and you know, listen, I love a bit of whimsy, don't get me wrong, and, and I try to use a bit of whimsy in my show. But equally, we don't just have to own whimsy. We can literally go out and beat the drum. And um, if my show in any way inspires other women to do that, then I would be rather chuffed. That would be great. At the moment, I seem to be just one angry lesbian. Uh, (laughs) That sounds like that should be the title of your next show. It should be just one angry leser. We have one final question that we put to all of our podcast guests. And that is what makes you uncomfortable. Lots of things make me uncomfortable. I still really can't get my head around relationships where there's a really big disparity in the age. I'm like, why why are you going out with someone that's 25 years younger than you? What's the matter with you? What do you have in common? This will never last. Things like that, yeah. Um, uh, just, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> like, come on, come on, mate. She's 18. What have you got to say to her? Nothing. She's practically a child. Get a grip. That, that makes me uncomfortable. But I, I, I think uncomfortable is, is a word that I would use less. I mean, just irritated. And if something makes me feel uncomfortable, that generally makes me irritated. Why is this making me feel uncomfortable? Are you making me feel uncomfortable? That's annoying. Now you've annoyed me. <laughs> 
I like how you turned our question that we ask all guests and made it about anger, yeah. which is perfect for this that's, episode. That's what I do. That's why you got me on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's oh, been pleasure. great having you on. No, it's great. Thanks so much. I'm glad that I am not as angry as I once was. I don't want to be numb. And having felt that this year, I think I really understand the difference between feeling angry inside, but your behaviour not being angry, to just feeling numb and pushing it all down. And they're really different things. And I want to feel angry, but behave in a way that helps people understand my anger. Your anger can't turn into aggression doesn't matter who you are that doesn't work we shouldn't be fighting to be more angry we should be fighting to all understand ourselves better to channel that anger in a way that feels constructive you can find jen brister on at jen brister comedy on instagram or at jen brister on twitter and don't forget to stream her comedy special on nextupcomedy.com. As always, I feel like a broken record, but I learned loads from those discussions. I genuinely did. One of the things that Kalechi said that was a bit of a bombshell moment for me was about women policing each other's anger and about how sometimes we judge one another. And actually, mm. it's because we don't know how to express our own anger and I was like, oh, yeah, God, I mm. do that. Yeah, she's talking about the oppressed using the tools of the oppressor to yeah. kind of police each other, which is really powerful. Mind-bending. She also said that she is a kind person but not a nice person, which was <laughs> another standout quote for me because it really resonated with me that idea that women are taught to be nice and if you dare show your anger or your dis or you disagree with someone then you're not nice and that's a big thing for me I often wonder or worry that when I share my opinion people won't like me and maybe mm -hmm. something to take away from today is just that knowing that if your intentions are good if you've got a kind heart that's okay sometimes like it's mm. quite empowering to not have to worry about being seen as nice or being liked it's not a popularity contest. <laughs> yeah, that is also a massive hang-up of mine. What I really enjoyed about today's recording is just being in the company of two women who are so comfortable in their own anger, especially with Jen as well saying that, she, you know, she takes her audience on a journey with her and she, like, ups the tempo and brings everything down so that everyone's... So she's got everyone's attention and she, like, delivers the things that she's really angry about and has, like, a really captive audience. Just imagine having that power or ability <laughs> to, to just take anger and, and use it in a really effective way, like both women that we've had on the podcast today. I feel like mine, I'm just... I'm so, like, trying to keep it all locked up that sometimes it just, like, comes out in a little burst of, like... I don't know, like, upset or, or like, in this way. And if only I could, like, take all those feelings and, and harness them and, like, use them for, like, good. I just feel very inspired to go and be angry, but in a really powerful Same. way. Watch out, world. <laughs> we're coming. We're fired up. No prisoners. Yeah. We're not going to hurt anyone along the way, though. We're just going to be very focused. Kind, but angry, but also kind. Mm. 
Um, that's it for today's episode of Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a wonderful review. We'll be back next week when we'll be discussing another taboo topic. This time we're chatting sexless relationships. I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. And I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. This podcast is produced by Rachel Porter. Our assistant producer is Marta van der Wolf and our sound engineer is Nag Karinde. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.